sage and fighting the fight. He has fought cities. He has fought counties. Politicians. Naysayers. Hell, he's even fought mayors. Thank you for listening to Sage and the Houseless Movement, a weekly show dedicated to the news and views of the homeless locally and worldwide. And all other things considered homeless? Yes. Broadcasting live from your Alexa device, the Radio Free Network app, iOS, WMBU.org, Many Voices United, and the RadioFreeNetwork.com. And now, from some wooded area in Akron, Ohio, here is Sage of the Rage Lewis. Yo, what is up, people of the universe? I mean, could it be? Someday, right? These ridiculous shows are going to end up on some planet. And uh, you know what they're going to do? They're going to say they were either uh, sacred <laughs> burial grounds or we're talking to the gods. That's all we ever come. I, I, mean, I hope I hope that uh, people of another world stop making every relic a thing that is uh, either a burial ground or a <laughs> some worshiping to the gods. I'm in my truck. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm driving around. I got a microphone in my hand and I'm going to see what happens. The problem is I don't have my notes, so I have to wing it. So look, my name is Sage. I know that part. I am a homeless activist. That's me. And uh, you can find me like I literally just changed all my usernames. So if you go to Facebook Go to Facebook and type in Sage Lewis 1971. You go to Twitter, go to twitter.com uh, slash Sage Lewis 1971. You go to Instagram, you go to Instagram.whatever slash Sage Lewis 1971. I couldn't get it on YouTube because YouTube doesn't let me change it, but I'm something like youtube.com slash C slash Sage Lewis. I don't know. If you go to sagelewis.com, I got all that stuff on there. I blog over there all the time. You should go and check it out. If you think I'm crazy here, you should see what I write. Holy cow. Today's episode is brought to you by the one and only Warner Mendenhall. The law offices of Warner Mendenhall. All right, look, I'm, I, last time I did his thing, I, uh, I was looking at his website, and so... All I can do is I got to like tell you like an anecdote about Warner Mendenhall. So Warner Mendenhall, um, I wouldn't call him a friend because I don't, I think you have to go out for a meal to qualify as a friend. Don't you? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think like, what is it? Like, when do you say that's my friend? I think there should be some rite of passage, a rite of passage where you're like, I went to the, the sacred friending meal, and now I declare that Warner Mendenhall and I are friends. Or is it just a symbolic thing that we are, that we are uh, like-minded spirits in some way, shape, or form, and then aren't all of us friends? Aren't all of us friends? 
Uh, Warner Mendenhall. All right. Warner Mendenhall is the real deal. Okay. This guy is not afraid of nothing. I believe, and if I'm wrong, he didn't write this. I believe he was a city councilman, okay, in Akron. I believe that's right. And then he decided to go to law school to learn law so he could continue fighting for the people of Akron and, I don't know, the entire universe, basically for the people, okay? Literally, he went to law school so he could help fight for the people. And every once in a while, you'll see Warner's name pop up in an article, and it's always like Warner Mendenhall takes on uh, big corporations. Warner Mendenhall takes on uh, corporate Democrats. Warner Mendenhall takes on the big people to stand up for the little people. And that is the truth. So one day... I was over at my building. I have a building. Don't get excited. It's in Akron. You can buy a building for a nickel over here and then say you own a building. Got a building. And I was over at my building and a Jeep, a cool, like, you know, Wrangler Jeep pulled up. I think it was black. I don't know, blue. I think a darkish color. Could have been a lightish color. I can't remember. I just know it was a Jeep, okay? And out comes, bump ba da da Warner Mendenhall. And we had a lovely conversation. We did. We did. I don't remember what it was about, but I remember it was lovely. Just like I don't remember the color of his Jeep, but I remember it was lovely too. I have a mattress in the back of my truck I'm taking for a semi-homeless person. Uh, They live in a garage. It's not really homeless, kind of just houseless, right? I mean, I got a garage. So anyways, and, and as you can imagine, my brain is a little... Uh, diversified right now. I hope I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I think I'm going to take a mattress to a homeless person. And then it's food bank day. And I thought you could follow me along on that too. So you can feel Warner Mendenhall's authenticity. So let me tell you this. If you are a human and have been screwed by some organization, call Warner Mendenhall. Just call him. Tell him Sage said to call Warner Mendenhall because I'm a human and I got screwed by some organization. And Warner will take it from there. Okay? I don't know. I don't know what kind of law he does. I mean, I kind of know he does the law law. I know he can do bankruptcy. I remember seeing that. So you need to get out of bankruptcy, call Warner Mendenhall. Probably you could call Warner Mendenhall if you got a DUI. I don't know if he does DUIs, but I'm sure he knows how to do DUIs. I don't know what he does. Go! Call him! I know he does personal injury. Did you personally get injured? Call Warner Mendenhall. Just call him. Just call him and say Sage said hi. Call him and say, hey, Sage told me to call and say hi, and thanks for standing up for the little guy. See, it's a little rhymed. Sage said hi, and thanks for standing up for the little guy. Yeah, do that. Sure, he'd love that. He's got nothing better to do and take those calls. All right. Go to Warner Mendenhall when you got a legal problem. He's the man. He's the man. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you on a journey to the east side in a foggy truck. And the reason it's a foggy truck is because my 
heat only is on, can only go on one level, super high, and so I've turned it off because I don't want that blowing sound constantly through the whole show. But the windows are slowly but surely uh, fogging up. The uh, it's kind of snowing. It's a you know a super gray day. Uh, the sun somehow is able to penetrate a gray cast across the land, but the clouds are nearly to the ground. Pretty sure. Welcome to late January in Northeast Ohio, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, have you taken your vitamin C and D and zinc and whatever else? Have you sat under your happy light? Oh, God be with you during this dark time of our winter. Um... You know, since I've worked with the homeless, I've hated winter less. And it could be because I'm on like antidepressant pills now. I don't really know. I'm not really sure. But I like to believe it's because I'm helping homeless people. That's why. Because like winter in Northeast Ohio, if there's ever a time a homeless person needs help, it's now. Now. Because believe it or not, these people are still outside. They're outside, human beings. Human beings are outside. Fellow Americans, outside. Do you hear? They're living outside with no shelter. They just walk around all day and then find some sort of like hole to sleep in whenever they find it. They're exhausted. They can't walk anymore. Human beings living outside, unsheltered. And you have to ask why, don't you? Do you see how much money they're throwing around? The federal government throwing it around. Trillions, trillions now. They just throw trillions. Here's a trillion. There's a trillion. Everybody have a trillion, trillion. Everybody's getting a trillion dollars. Yet people still are living unsheltered in the United States of America. And I always like to point out the most Christian nation in the world. There's a homeless guy right now. He's got a backpack on. At least he has a backpack walking, walking. I'm just about entering downtown. Nobody walks around downtown with a huge backpack on at 1030 on a Friday morning other than less you're homeless. I'm telling you, just telling you right now, not here in Akron. Maybe if you're in Allen Arbor or something, I don't know, but not here in Akron. The most Christian nation in the world. And we just watch that guy just walk down there. We don't stop to help him. What we do is we judge him. We say, why is that guy homeless? Why is that guy homeless? There must be a reason. It's probably drugs. Yeah, it's probably drugs. He's probably on drugs. He's got the drugs. He should quit drugs, man. He should quit them. And then he wouldn't be homeless anymore, man. <laughs> 
said somebody that has no fucking idea what homelessness is and addiction is. <laughs> he should quit the drugs and he wouldn't be homeless anymore. Do you think that most drug addicts are homeless? <laughs> Do you think that? Because you are wrong. Wrong. You are very wrong. I would say 95% of drug addicts live in a house. Maybe more. Again, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I assure you, the vast, vast, vast majority of people that are addicted live indoors. It is not the drugs that make you homeless. The number one ultimate thing that ultimately, ultimately makes you homeless is you don't have a family, okay? Your family is dead. They burned up in a fire. They left you. They died. They hate you. You're the black sheep of the family. They just want to see you dead. They can't say one positive thing about you ever. And truthfully, maybe you stole from them. Or more than likely, you are uh, you have a, uh, a diagnosed condition of schizophrenia, and this is what I see more often than the, the, the family kicking out because of stealing. You threaten to kill the family because they're evil and burn down the house because you are uh, inflicted with schizophrenia. That's the more common thing. It's the more common thing. And so your family disappears. And then, my friend, you will see how quickly there is nothing else out there for you. Nothing. Or I should say very little. We have one men's shelter in Akron. Uh, highly Christian. I heard a guy got kicked out because he was talking about Magic the Gathering, the card game. You have to go to uh, you have to go to church to get. You have to say a prayer before dinner. You have to say the prayer before dinner. You have to go to church before bed. You have to go to church if you want clothes. You have to. It's not free. LGBTQIA people not welcome because. God doesn't approve. Drug addicts, not welcome, because God doesn't approve, <laughs> says the human being that knows shit about God. I'm going to put you on pause. I got to go in and get some cigarettes for my friends. Hold on. All right, I'm back. They got these meat sticks at the counter. Uh, can't remember what they're called, but you get two for a dollar. Uh, so I like to get that. I get the Polar Pop, even though it's middle of winter. I just love it. And then I get two packs of cigarettes. I get the Traffics because they're like four forty nine a piece, pretty cheap these days. I get one red, and I get one menthol, the one hundreds, because. As I go around today, I'm going to meet, you know, I'm going to meet up with a lot of my friends and haven't had a cigarette in a while. And so 
It's just nice to hand out a cigarette. I don't know if you've ever smoked. If you have, and you haven't had a cigarette in a while, you know how delicious that is. So I like to do that. All right. So now I'm on the east side of town. I'm gonna, I ate one of my little meat sticks. I'm going to save my other meat stick for later. And now we're going to go over to the lady in the garage. And uh, give her this mattress. All right. I think I have to turn on my heat. I'm sorry. I can't see. If you just, if you just heard a low hum start up, I apologize. I just can't see. Oh, I'm a beverage man. I have now, I got hot tea over in one cup holder and I got my Polar Pop in another cup holder. I am living large. Uh, one of the reasons I was an alcoholic was because I loved to just constantly be drinking stuff. So I never really lost that. I did give up drinking coffee because I tended to drink way too much coffee and it had too much caffeine and really, really jacked me up. All right, here we go. Going out on the street. Wish me luck. Okay, here we go. Oh, I made it on the street. Good, good, good. Okay, so, um, but yeah, so I love, I love beverages. I love it. I love it. I must have like a oral fixation. I do. I mean, why I was a smoker, a drinker. I mean, but I mean, drinking is just awesome. Just amazing. So, Okay, now I'm at the corner of East Market, and this is Bookdal, I think. So if you're familiar with that area. But this is, I believe we're, we're here in Middlebury. I know that my building's in Middlebury. I think I'm, I've officially entered Middlebury at this point, I believe. Middlebury um, is a very low-income part of town. Um, but wonderful people. Wonderful people. Uh, pretty diverse, but I would say quite white, quite white, <laughs> but um, not racist. Like, well, eh, I mean, I definitely know racist poor people, but so what's funny about racism in low income areas that I've noticed is I'll hear people upset about one race or another. But then next thing you know, they're hanging out with somebody of that other race. So like, um, there's a guy here from Puerto Rico who everybody loves, but he totally gets razzed because he's from Puerto Rico, you know? Um, but they love him. So I don't know what that is, right? Like, obviously they're saying racist things that could be insulting, but they are also clearly friends. And uh, that's an interesting dichotomy that I don't think, ooh, there goes a cat right across the street. Um, I don't feel like you see that as much in middle America these days as, like, or not middle, I'm sorry, middle class America. Uh, we don't talk 
Well, we don't talk to anybody, much less anybody that is not us. So we have that. Um, whereas there is a lot of diversity in a low income neighborhood. And I see a lot of cultural mixing, um, a lot of biracial couples, different of different nationalities getting together, usually black and white. We don't have a huge Mexican or Hispanic or even Puerto Rican, uh, population in this area of town. Uh, but, um, all right, so we're kind of we're going over to this one area. I like doing radio because I'm not divulging secrets of where people live. You can't see where I am other than you know that I'm on the east side. Uh, so anyways, I'm here with the where the lady is that wants the mattress. And I think I'm Oh, there goes another kitty cat. A lot of kitty cats out on this snowy day. It's not like, it's like, it's not like three feet of snow. It's just like a, it's like a, um, dusting, as we like to say, a dusting. All right. Pulling up here. Into the area where this, hopefully she's here. I didn't tell her what time I was coming. I just said I was coming today. So we will see. All right, I'm going to put you on hold again, and I will be back. All right, I'm back. Uh, what an exhilarating whatever this was, 15 or 20 minutes. I'm heading now to the food bank. I dropped off the mattress, had a wonderful conversation with the lady who needed the mattress. Um, and more importantly, I talked to the guy who I was, I'm doing this generator experiment with. So I gave him a generator, right? And... Um, about two weeks ago, I gave him a generator and it, uh, I came back a day or two ago and the generator was gone and I had chained the generator to a tree with a really big chain. Um, and so the generator was gone and the gas can was gone and the extension cord was gone. And I'm like, that fucker sold everything. He sold everything. And I was a little disappointed, but more so I had done this as an experiment to see if he would like sell it or, you know, would he keep it going or whatever. I just wanted to see what would happen. But what turned out to happen is somebody had indeed cut the chain. It was a small chain on the gas can and stole the gas can. And he got nervous that they were going to come back and steal the generator and cut down the tree. So he cut down the tree instead and put the generator in his tent and is protecting the generator. And that is so awesome because it represents something. It represents, there are kitties everywhere. Here comes another kitty cat. Does this one have ears? Where are, Do you have little ears? What is your ear story? Yeah, okay, he has one ear. I think he has. he's a one-eared cat. No, he has two. He's just cold. Okay, everything's fine. Cat has two ears. It's going to be okay, everybody. So um, he's like, what do you think? I'm just a crackhead that's going to steal your generator and sell it for drugs? And I'm like, well, yeah, I did. He's like, thanks, Sage. And... <laughs> But we have a we have a fairly good relationship. So, but that was what I thought, right? 
I literally thought when I saw that generator gone that either A, somebody stole it, or B, most likely, I concluded, he sold it for drugs. That's what I thought because everything was gone. I'm like, well, if they had just stolen the generator, they wouldn't have stolen, you know, they, the gas tank would have been there. But instead, preemptively, he protected the generator. And that is really cool. And so I gave him now the key to the lock for the generator because I hadn't given it to him. Uh, so now he could lock it up because he still has the chain. Uh, and he could, now he could lock it if he wants. Um, so now I have to approach like, okay. So here's the thing, everybody. If I believe that homeless people are just going to steal stuff. You give it to them, they're just going to steal it and sell it for drugs. Somebody that has basically committed their life for the last several years to helping homeless people because he believes in them. What do you think the stereotypes of the rest of the world are like? We... I mean, in my defense, the situation did look suspicious. I mean, there was no generator, okay? I couldn't find the generator, and he wasn't at home. And I'm like, that bastard fucking sold the generator. And so, I mean, I guess it's fair of me to say... Well, I think it was either stolen or he sold it or something, right? I mean, but would I have done that to a middle-class person? If, let's say, I uh, had lent a generator to my neighbor in the middle-class neighborhood, and uh, let's say I left it in the garage, and I'm like, hey, uh, okay, here comes an ambulance is he going to go? Oh, he's going to the fire department. No problem. Okay. Everything's good. So, um, and I like, you know, I stopped by his garage cause we're that kind of friends and you know, I was going to go pick up a rake or whatever. And I go in and the generator's not there. Would I have said that guy sold the generator? He stole the generator. No, I think I'd be like, Oh, I wonder what he did with the generator. I wonder, uh, maybe he took it inside. Maybe he, he needed to take it to work or something. But I don't think I would have said he stole the generator, which is what I said about my friend, my homeless friend. He must have stolen the generator or accusing some other person of stealing the generator. Now, that's a little less uh, stereotypical because there is a lot of thieving that goes along, and clearly somebody had stolen the gas tank, okay? So I'm not completely irrational as far as that goes, but my point is we have these stereotypes in our heads that are based in fiction, 
but they're negative stereotypes, you know, for, for people we don't like or are suspicious of, like, you know, you know, the idea of a, uh, white lady locking her doors when she pulls up to an intersection, when there's a black guy standing on the corner or even, uh, Walking on the other side of the street, if somebody comes, a black guy's walking down the street. I literally had a few months ago a senior citizen white man say that, of course, he crosses the street if a black person is walking towards him on the sidewalk. I'm like, what are you saying? He's like, I wish I wouldn't, but I mean, you just have to. You just have to? Really? Really? I'm like, I thought that was over, but no. Anyways, he lives in a very white town. I don't know if he's seen a black person. 15 years. But at any rate, these stereotypes are dangerous, right? And if you have been paying attention to what has been going on in America with, say, QAnon, okay? So these QAnon people, do you know much about them? Unless you are one. I'm not trying to diss you if you are one. I'm just trying to explain that QAnon largely believes, from what I understand, what I've read, and if this is not accurate, somebody from QAnon, please write in and correct me, that the world is being controlled by Satanist pedophiles that drink children's blood for power, okay? They believe this, like, not like symbolically Satanist, symbolically drinking children's blood, literally drinking children's blood to gain power. And Donald Trump was sent to uh, put them all in jail. That was the whole QAnon approach, okay? And so now Donald Trump has left. The Satanist blood-drinking pedophiles are still out there. Everything has been turned upside down for these QAnon people. And you might, if you're not a QAnon person, think, well, that's crazy. But think of the crazy crap you believe, okay? Are you by chance a Mormon? Do you know what the Mormons believe? They believe that after Jesus ascended on his way back into heaven, after, you know, he was risen and all that, he stopped by Utah. He stopped by Utah. Okay? Of all the places in the world, Jesus dropped by Utah to say, hey, what's up? They believe it. Did you watch the, uh, did you watch the uh, South Park where they exposed what Scientologists believe? I can't even remember it. I got to look it up crazy crap. That's all I remembered. All I remember was like they would, they would flash on the screen. They actually believe this, you know, it was crazy stuff. Something about a volcano and aliens. And I don't even know. I don't even know. I can't even remember. I can't even keep up. And then you're like, Oh, those say those people are crazy. Those people are crazy. Well, chances are you're some form of Christian. Okay. You believe that your leader rose from the dead. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. You believe it. Well, that's just true. That sage is just true. Okay. You believe it. My wife 
who is one of the most down-to-earth people I've ever met, still self-proclaimed atheist, although I'm trying to get her to change that title, but it won't be easy. She knocks on wood. She not she literally has to go find wood and knock on it if I say something that uh, is like, you know, like, wow, we're, we're having a great year. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. You know what I do? I throw salt over my shoulder if I spill it. I'm like, yeah, I better just do it. I had a bad experience. I'm not going to go into it. But what I did, I once spilled salt to test it, and I had a really bad outcome. So, man, I just throw that shit right over my shoulder. I do. You know why? Because deep down, I kind of believe it. I kind of believe it. You know what I'm saying? I kind of believe it. So, we as humans must recognize that we are susceptible to believe in all kinds of crazy crap. I really believe that our belief systems drive everything in us. And it can be good, right? Like if you're an optimistic person, I believe people are good. And that's nice. You don't know that. You haven't done a quantitative study. I don't think you can. But you're like, I believe people are innately good. And I'm like, oh, isn't that sweet? I believe that. You know, I can't prove it, but I believe it. And it like shapes how I act in the world and how I treat people. Because I believe it. And so our beliefs matter. Our stereotypes matter because they shape the world. And when people in power start to turn their beliefs into laws, like, you know, people of different races shouldn't marry. Gay people shouldn't marry. You like, you you turn those into laws. Now you have created systemic oppression. And if you believe that homeless people are just drug addicted, lazy, no good thieves, and you refuse to let them sleep anywhere, you have created systemic oppression by nothing other than beliefs, not by truth. You know who does this, uh, like the fights against this is the, uh, um, is the uh, pit bull uh, people that advocate for pit bulls. They're like, pit bulls are not any more dangerous than any other uh, dog breed, which is quantitatively true. But yet we have pit bull laws, specific laws for pit bulls. Why? Because we hate pit bulls. It's not the pit bulls that turned them into pit bulls. It was the people, okay? Uh, hold on, now I'm at the food bank. I need to call in food bank. Okay, hold on. I will be calling them. You can stay here. Okay, wait, speaker. Okay, hold on. Good morning. 
morning, Akron Camp Regional Food Bank. Linda speaking. Hi, Linda. This is Sage from the Homeless Charity. I'm here for my appointment. Yeah, you guys are going to be at Bay 3. Bay 3. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay, so the way it works is... Um, it used to be they have these big doors, okay? They have these big, huge doors. And uh, you used to pull all the way in, and then they would close the door, and you would be inside. But they don't do that anymore. They, um, you just pull up to the door, and they load you up, and then you, you head on out. So I'm going to put you on mute again or pause because I need to talk to some people and, you know, they'll be confused. They'll be like, what is he saying? Anyways, I'll be back. So I would just like to uh, give a shout out to food banks across America. Um, food banks are ingenious concoctions of capitalism. Okay. Now, I'm uh, my stance on. Capitalism is that capitalism sucks balls, but it's better than communism. That's it's pretty much my my take on capitalism. That I I haven't seen a great rendition of communism. Although the communists will say, well, but you never give them a chance because America just destroys them, and that's a good point. So I don't really know, but I do know about uh, capitalism. And my belief is you can probably make any system work, you know, but they're all going to be systems that are inherently flawed, you know. Uh, but I like capitalism in that you get something like a food bank. And what a food bank is, is it's, it's, it's food that would be otherwise thrown away. So you have food that um, maybe they were doing a, a market test and they made a, a small run of it. They did their test and then they had a bunch left over. They give it to the food bank. Uh, grocery stores are going to throw away food. Instead, they give it to the food bank. It's stuff like that. But the way it really works is that the reason businesses do it is because of the tax write-off. If there was no tax write-off, I don't think I think they would just throw it away. Like, like you have to speak the language of capitalists. And the way you do that is you're like, hey, you know, you could help out America by giving out this food. And just so happens that you can write this down on your taxes as, as loss. And they're like, oh, oh, I see. And so it works really, 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 really well in a, an, uh, a capitalist ecosystem. Uh, there's just so much incentive to give the food to a food bank. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's good PR. It is helpful, incredibly helpful to your community and you get to save on taxes. So it's really, really great. And so, um, now a communist or socialist might say, well, you know, in communism or socialism, you wouldn't need food banks. And I don't know how true that is. I mean, you're saying that there's no starvation in, in uh, communist countries. I don't think I've, I think I've seen that there is 
<laughs> starvation in communist countries. So, uh, so I, but I'm no expert. Okay. I'm not an economist. I, I don't know. I'm just a, you know, a guy that has opinions based on loose research <laughs> and beliefs. And so, um, Food banks, like, so the food bank puts out, a, a, a every once in a while they put out this stat that they're like, there's 80,000 hungry people in Summit County, okay? And I know that there's 190,000 people in Akron, which is the main city. So I don't know how many people are in Summit County offhand. I don't know, 250? I don't know. I don't know. But they're like, okay, there's 80,000 hungry people in Summit County. And we can feed them all, <laughs> which is insane. Now, the bottleneck comes in that the food bank relies on partners, which are called food pantries. And when you go to their classes, they, they spend a, a significant amount of time telling you the difference and how you cannot call yourself a food bank, you are a food pantry. Um, what I do is I take him to uh, our one of our houses um, uh, uh, that we shelter recently homeless people, and um, I shouldn't say it's my house. I'm I'm just a volunteer at the homeless charity. I take it to one of the homeless charity houses, and then they they make meals out of it and give it to homeless people, and it's really 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 great. Um. But the bottleneck comes in that they need more of these partners. And uh, I would just like to make a plug and say, if you are a church or any kind of business, a school, um, if you have a house that, like, say you're a a halfway house or a um, drug treatment house, as long as the house is not in a single person's name, you should contact your local food bank and see if you could provide food. I once went to a um, sober house and they had, and it was all these guys right out of jail, starving. They literally had no food. Uh, And I was like, what are you doing? Go get your food bank partner agreement and go get these guys food. And I guess, right, like you're busy, I'm busy. I mean, you can't be feeding people all the time. But um, I would strongly encourage you to do this. So, like, my appointment was at 1130. It's now 1207. I'll probably have this unloaded by one. And if I'm not, if I don't want to hang out, which sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, I'll be on my way home by one. So, I'm looking at a couple hours out of my day, you know, and if I would do it, like I could probably even do it more efficiently if I wanted. Um, so it, my point is that it's not a huge time suck. You, uh, you could, if you have a truck, that's great. But I see people in small cars doing it all the time. They just come and pick up a load in their back of their, 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 their car. It works out wonderfully. Um, and so, I really would love to see more people become uh, food pantries and give out and become partners of their their food bank because that is a huge huge need, um, and it's a it's an amazing amazing resource that I believe is created because there is excess uh, product created in in a capitalist system, and so 
you then on the back end just get to give away food, not at a discounted rate. In fact, you're not allowed to charge at all for it. That's the deal. You have to give it away. And um that's pretty amazing, you know. In a in a in a in a broken system, something like a food bank comes up and it's truly miraculous in my opinion. So, uh, right now I'm driving by Akron University of Akron. Uh, it is kind of in the heart of the hood, the University of Akron. Uh, I think that the University of Akron is suffering. Um, but I think a lot of universities and colleges got dinged during the uh, uh, pandemic. But I, I do think that the University of Akron has really had to right-size their organization, if you will. Again, I'm not an expert in that, but... Um, it is sort of challenging. Uh, I know some uh, young people who go to the University of Akron and they live in off-campus housing. And uh, they've had shootings right in front of their their uh, house. And in fact, a body was dumped uh, about a half a block away from their house. They could see where it was from their windows. So it's a, a little bit of a challenge, which... Brings me to violence in America. Um, we had the most murders in Akron in our history last year, 2020, and uh, we're well on our way off to a really solid start uh, the 20-something of January here in uh, uh, 2021 to beat that record, you know? Beat that record. So... Um, that will be interesting to see, um, but I do believe it is a product of an America that is um, suffering. Uh, if you live in a wealthy town like Washington, D.C., I mean, you see poverty. You can't escape poverty in America, can you? I don't know. I don't know. Like, But... There's people in America that are doing very well, and there's a lot of people in America that are doing really poorly. They're really suffering. And usually those two people do not uh, know each other uh, very well, if at all. And um, I have been given a wonderful opportunity of getting to know people that are suffering in America. and. I will be forever thankful that that has been a part of my um, process in in life and um, that I've been able to get to know these people because you truly cannot um, theoretically understand what's going on over here. You can read about it. You can even meditate on the suffering, but until you see it, you don't really get it, you know? And, uh, you know, as I descend now into Middlebury, right by Dave's supermarket, and uh, in fact, there's an interesting semi-famous, wait, oh, shoot, I don't know where I want to go. Uh, I kind of want to sit for a minute and finish up this recording, because then I'm going to drop off the food. There's a, um, a military 
billboard over here on this side of town and somebody spray painted on it, um, you know, military murders the poor. And I, I thought that was very insightful, uh, pretty, pretty accurate um, message that uh, military <laughs> hires poor people to get churned in their machine to go out and kill other poor people. Uh, and that's what, what is really a, a huge part of America is poor people killing poor people and powerful people uh, that sit in offices and whatnot directing this these strategic warfare things are not experiencing it. So, you know, a couple hundred thousand dead poor people is, eh, it's just the cost of doing business. But it's not their kids. It's not their life. And so they uh, are happy to do it. You know, they're happy to happy to send those people out to, to war. And I think that that is symbolic of America as a whole in that we are happy to let huge swaths of America starve and freeze and live desperate, inhumane lives uh, because they're not us. They're not the middle class. One time I was, I had just taken a um, young prostitute somewhere, I don't know, to some house. I imagine a guy that had, she was going to, I don't know where, I don't know where I was taking her. She asked me to take her somewhere. I took her somewhere. Beautiful young girl, um, very well-spoken um, and, you know, but telling this horrific story of her existence. And uh, she had recently gotten over E. coli because she lived in the woods and she didn't have wanting water. And so she was drinking out of the river and it gave her E. coli. Uh, where she bathed and drank out of this river here in America, you know, and um, just she spends all her money trying to uh, feed an opiate addiction that is just insatiable. And so, you know, she, she's starving for, for opiates, you know, her brain is demanding it. And um, she... Just, I was really, you know, taken by her because I'm like, wow, man, this is just crazy. Like, not that there's just some pretty young girl being a prostitute, but there's some pretty young girl right in my town that has to drink river water. You know, I'm like, really? Has to drink river water? Because she can't find running water somewhere? Because everybody there, we lock up our our, our water. <laughs> Water's expensive here in Akron, Ohio, incidentally. <laughs> Uh, very expensive. And so 
I was really struck by her and I was really thinking about her. And then I, so I drove across town to my side of town, the middle class side of town. And I walked into CVS, the local drugstore, and there was a young, pretty girl shopping in CVS. And I said to myself, I wonder if she's a prostitute. And then I snapped out of it. I'm like, no, dummy. She's not a prostitute. She's just probably going to go to Starbucks. But I like, and I felt like mental whiplash, you know, I'm like, wow, I just drove three miles and I went from dropping off a young prostitute who got a coli drinking river water, who's trying to just take away the pain of her opiate addiction to being in CVS with a girl that if you put the two together, you would have never seen the difference. I'm telling you, you would not have known which was the uh, uh, river water drinking opiate addict and which was the girl that uh, just happened to live on the middle class in the West Side. There was, they were indistinguishable, I'm telling you, okay? Indistinguishable. And I was just like, dang, man. This is America. This is what we have become of two radically different worlds living simultaneously in the richest, most Christian nation in the world. How can that be? And a friend of mine, Ashley, who does a lot of homeless work. She has befriended a homeless young woman. Ashley's 20 and the young woman is 20. And the young woman is living uh, in a dugout uh, by a river and just gave birth to twins. And it was very interesting talking to Ashley about that because she used the term whiplash. That she's like, we are six months apart and we grew up in the same city. How can that be? How can it be that Ashley grew up where she did in a well-off family and this other young woman ran out, she grew up in the foster system, uh, aged out of the foster system and then found herself in a dugout on the side of a hill where she was thankful she had found a boyfriend and uh, she's filled with anxiety. She was being left alone. She was thankful for her dugout. And uh, ultimately, you know, uh, brought those babies to term in this dugout and then, you know, had them at a hospital and then they were taken from, from her child and family services and whatnot. And, and you can't really, it's like going to uh, a national park versus seeing a picture of a national park, okay? If you've ever been to Yellowstone or one of those national parks, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You cannot experience 
a national park through seeing a picture of it. You got to go to the national park. You know, you have to go to the national park. And it's that way with poverty. My words, I'm doing my best to describe to you what I'm seeing with these people that are my friends living extreme lives of poverty in America, but you can't possibly appreciate it unless you've been there, seen it firsthand. And I'm here to tell you, just as like a person that goes to Yellowstone for a week doesn't understand Yellowstone compared to a person that's been there for a year or their whole lives. It's the same thing, right? A picture is okay. Going for a week is better. Living there your whole life, you finally start to sort of understand it. Poverty is just like that. You can go, I can introduce you to a homeless person and you can hear their story for a half hour, but, and it's better than me telling you the story, but it's nothing like seeing these people day in, day out, understanding their struggles. And of course, then ultimately you can't fully understand their experience the way they understand their experience. There is no no level of empathy that can put you in their shoes and understand their trauma and their, their tragedy. Even ultimately then, even I am just merely a, an observer that's interested in, in observing, but never ultimately the observed, which is something that becomes incomprehensible unless you've experienced it yourself. But the only way we are ever going to solve this is if we turn the judgment around, that we stop blaming the homeless person, that we stop blaming the addict. We must understand addiction and what it is. It is a disease. It is a manipulation, a transformation of the human brain. Drugs become as critical to the addict's brain as food. If you can imagine what you would feel like if you had gone without eating for a week because you could not get food, that's what an addiction to opiates is like, I assume. As an addict to alcohol, I can tell you that I would hyperventilate a little if I thought I wasn't going to get to drink that night, that I had to go to some family outing or something, and I didn't have a plan of how I was going to drink. I would feel like I couldn't catch my breath, like I was going to be missing out on breathing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what addiction is. It is your brain telling you that you are suffocating, that you are starving. Your brain says pleasure good, pain bad. And the loss of an addictive substance is brutal pain to your brain. We must understand these things if we are ever to have any hope of just allowing to relieve the suffering of these Americans. All right, people, I got to drop off my food. I love you. You have a good day. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to Sage and the Houseless Movement, a weekly show dedicated to the news and views of the homeless locally and worldwide.